Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they bought a little short chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your hosts, Ben and Dave. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. As always, I am your host, Ben, and today we have Mr. Maury Brown joining us uh, to talk some baseball and talk a little bit about himself and MLB to PDX. So without further ado, Murray, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, it's really great. Did you know that you are our first guest for year three, the the beginning of year three of this podcast? Well, hopefully I didn't end this, end your series on a, on a you know, a bad way here. I get you into year three and then kill you with this interview. <laughs> but no, no, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, well, I, we appreciate it, uh, you coming on um, to talk some baseball. I know, I know I've been following you for quite some time now and been keeping track of the things that you're doing and your, your sports writing. So I I've really uh, grown fond of all the things that you've been putting out there. So thanks for doing what you're doing. Well, it's always, you know, baseball never seems to end. And, you know, it's a great sport and I love it. Yeah. Now, let tell us a little bit about yourself, Murray. Like, like why why, why did you get into sports writing? Like, what, what got you to there? Well, I mean, I've always had sports, you know, as something that my, my family was kind of into. We, we, I, I was born, I'm a born Oregonian, but I grew up in the Bay Area. And uh, my dad took me to a Giants game at Candlestick. I don't remember much about it. Um, I knew Willie Mays was playing, and he was my hero as a kid growing up. Uh, it was the coldest place I've ever been. And still, I, I feel still, still feel like I'm cold from it. But uh, then Finley brought the A's to Oakland, and it was warmer. And I kind of dug that they had long hair. And I just was always following you know i started following baseball there uh moved up here and obviously followed the blazers um but really the it really started to grow when uh quite honestly i mean this it's really kind of a kind of kind of sounds silly but i got tired of driving to seattle to go watch the mariners i just really couldn't understand Mm -hmm. um why portland didn't potentially have other sports opportunities and that was around 2002 and in 2003 of course the montreal expos uh started to be discussed considerably about relocation and then the uh, portland joined a a bunch of other cities of course i think it was largely wired for washington dc at the time but uh mayor katz at the time uh started to look into it there were several divergent uh, baseball groups at the time there was Portland baseball group, which was run by a constitutional uh, scholar named um, Steve Canner that was up at Lewis and Clark at the time. Uh, There was the Oregon Sports Authority, uh, which at the time was being run by Drew Mahalik. Um, And so there was that. And then Lynn Lashbrook, who now runs sports management worldwide in Portland, uh, he had started uh, something called Portland um, what was it? The Portland baseball group at the time. I can't remember what the name of it was because it, it shifted when David Kahn came along. Anyway, that was the grassroots thing that Lynn was involved in. 
Um, Steve was kind of trying to work through some, you know, work with some individuals to try and get something more serious about it. And David Kahn, who had been the former GM of the Indiana Pacers, had was in town and he basically understood the business gyrations. He at least understood because he had worked in the NBA um, how the business of sports operated and worked to try and pull it together under what was called the Oregon Stadium campaign. And so I started to get, I just, I, they didn't have anybody. There was no budget. Um, I just kind of became a researcher and just started writing about it. You know, I just thought it was something that was interesting and looking at some of the stuff that was being reported and started calling data around it. Of course, Portland wound up not getting the team. Um, we got a Senate bill passed and, you know, that's still something that's relevant um, in the discussions about the efforts to bring baseball to Portland still. Um, exactly exactly yeah once that once that ended um i just kept right on going and studying i became deeply engrossed in the business aspect of it i um if you don't know david connie's an interesting individual he he's you know he's kind of a he's one of those individuals that some people don't like him i he understood i thought the business more than anybody and he was a mentor we would talk about stuff and he would be brutally honest about stuff and as kind of caustic way that only David could do, but I really appreciated what he was talking about. And I learned a lot from him. And then now I think in many ways, you know, he and I talk still occasionally, you know, I, I give him some insight on stuff and it, it's just one of those things to where he helped me grow in a number of different, in the direction of understanding sports a little bit from the business perspective, which is of course, something that you don't want to have to talk about, but it's just critical. And so, like I said, I just kept writing. I got asked to do some essays. Um, I became a member of Sabre for a period of time and was uh, co-chair of their business of baseball committee, you know, and I started writing for baseball prospectus and that was a huge thing. Um, There were some amazing people there early on and they still have some amazing people, but it was really during a period of time where, where, where baseball prospectus was seen as this huge think tank. And really the, the beginnings are really where a lot of the traction around uh, Moneyball came from and the idea of analytics and everything. Um, and then I just kept, kept on writing and then wound up where I'm at at Forbes. So I always joke that I, I started my career because I didn't want to drive to Seattle. And I wrote a couple of things and 20 years later, I'm kind of here I am. Yeah, I want to go back to um, your early research for uh, the Portland Baseball Project and you you mentioned you, you had to start somewhere, but when you're when you started your initial research on this, where where did you begin? Did you begin at the with the historical aspect of trying to learn baseball in the city of Portland, or where did you go? No, I didn't look at any of that. No, because look, I mean, um, the historical perspective was done. Uh, the market research aspect of it was largely driven out of the Oregon um, Sports Authority. And so they looked at some things around, you know, there was that. There was, of course, I had a, a deep interest in the, in the Portland Beavers, and I looked at that sort of thing. But this is the honest-to-goodness truth. I never looked at um, minor league baseball as a pure indicator in terms of its attendance or anything like that to what uh, Major League Baseball would be. Much in the same way that I don't think it's fair to go ahead and look at an NBA G League team in a market and derive how an NBA team would work in a given market. It doesn't work like that. Now, what I did was I looked at stadium funding 
and the po- the politics behind making some of this stuff happen from prior stadium efforts. So I focused almost entirely on that and looked at how those markets were because obviously there were some smaller markets that had had baseball for a very long time. Pittsburgh obviously being one, Cincinnati being another, Kansas City. And so you start to look at those and you go, okay, how did they get, how did that happen? And some of it is cultural, you know, there's some other things about it, right? I mean, baseball uh, east of the Mississippi is, you know, basically where a lot of it is born, has been around generationally. And then it was, I thought, important to look at the most current expansion that we'd had available and look at what had happened, of course, in South Florida, in Denver, and in Phoenix, and look at how those happened. Those were, of course, larger markets, but it was important to look at it in the, in, in the context of why expansion happened and what came out of that and the politics behind it. And I think one of the things that gets lost behind this whole idea of potential expansion in Major League Baseball stems in large part um, due to extenuating things that Major League Baseball might look past in a given market, strictly from the overall. And and we can get into that, but I mean, um, Portland obviously is a small market. I mean, we might think ourselves as bigger and we're certainly growing, but the reason for why a Portland or potentially in Nashville or elsewhere happens plays into a larger picture with major league baseball outside of just saying, let's go to 32 teams. And there's an awful lot of other things that go into it that are beneficial to major league baseball. And that is the third leg of what I got involved in. I spent more time studying what happens within what I call the lodge, which is the ownership dynamic, the commissionership, the industry, baseball industry as a whole, and understanding how that private industry, which is massive. I mean, we think about it as sports, but it's it's a huge industry. It's $10.7 billion. I mean, to put it in perspective, when Bud Selig took over in 1992 and went from acting to the to becoming the commissioner of baseball, gross revenues for Major League Baseball were $1.2 billion. Well, it's over 10 times that now. So it's a massive industry. Obviously, it's taken a hit in the shorts right now due to the pandemic. But um, that, I think, actually what's going on right now with the pandemic actually factors into what's going on potentially in Portland and in other markets when we go from 30 to 32 teams. You know, when you're talking about expansion, you know, I think people look at like the, the most things that are upfront and pressing in their mind, like where's the stadium going to go? What, you know, what name are we going to call it? How, you know, the, the level of funding, where are we going to get the funding? Let's take a, let's talk about stadium location. Cause I know that that's, something that's big with MLB to PDX push, but, you know, let's talk about back when it was baseball to Portland and, you know, they're looking at civic PGE park, Moulton civic stadium, you know, at the time. And now I think it's still Providence park at now where the timbers play, but you know, where let's talk about the locations and just kind of where, where, where you guys were looking at at that time. Well, the big one was the Blanchard location, which is Portland, uh, basically a Portland public schools main office, which is just North of the Rose quarter. Um, that was looked at considerably. It wasn't perfect. Baseball wanted something in the urban core and they still do. I mean, that's something they like the idea of having something that's integrated into the urban core, uh, of those cities. Um, that was looked at. You mentioned what was PG park, um, at the time, 
And now, so that was looked at. The problem there was that they would have had to have made it, of course, much larger. The footprint wasn't there. Um, the other location, of course, they tried. There was discussions. There's been multiple discussions many times to try and put it at the Coliseum location. But it's just the footprint was too small. We never really looked at that. Um, there were a couple of other locations. The one that it was probably the most promising was where the downtown post office is. And that would have been great because it would have at the time, um, even though the light rail spur that we now know goes through there, that's the green line and everything else that goes through when we have um, it, the light rail run down to the train station, um, but the train station was there. And then the idea would be that you would put light rail there. Um, there was, of course, a lot of concern about how it would potentially impact um, all the urban development that was going on. That was right when um, basically um, that whole area of the city was basically gonna, going ahead and, and being developed at a high rate of speed. And so there was concerns about how it was going to affect the condo development and everything. But that I thought was always, I think, the one that was the one that baseball wanted. Those were kind of the core ones. There was another one They put it at Lincoln High School was one, and then we're going to move stuff around. There was one where you were going to cap I-5 at basically near where, or I'm sorry, cap I-405 and stick it over 405. I mean, those were kind of, those were kind of pie in the sky. We kind of looked at it um, and, and, and try to go ahead and get an idea about how that might look. It was then um, Populous is the architecture firm now. Um, they were looking at all of this stuff and they're kind of the de facto group. But it was really the Blanchard location that seemed to have the most effect. Um, I, we look at that now politically, I think is, is that would have been a very poor idea, would have adversely affected the Albina district. And I, I give a lot of credit to the Portland Diamond Project for saying that they were not going to go there. They, they will not look at that location because they don't want to inflict any more historical um, pain to what's happened there in the past um, with the black community and for rightfully so I think that that's glad that that was that was passed over so those were kind of those locations that were looked at that's a great explanation and I like the fact that they were looking at where the old where the post office is in downtown and that urban development in that area and I don't kind of think it would work but um, you know that's a pretty cool idea there um, you know I know a lot of people even mentioned some word about potentially the Lloyd Center. Now, you know, for me looking at it, there were, you definitely kind of create a lot of congestion with 84 going through there. We know that that gets pretty much backed up and, you know, to have to create some more on and off ramps in that particular location. But you got the the rail that's right there. And we all know that malls are essentially going out of business because nobody really shops at malls hardly anymore. I mean, maybe there still is people that do that, but there's not a lot. I don't, I personally really don't go to a mall anymore. Um, but we'll talk about that location because it's right near um, the convention center and it's not too far from the Rose Quarter. Yeah, I, I don't like it from a traffic perspective at all. Um, it does have light rail access, right? So yay, there's, there's your bonus. But you basically, you mentioned it. There's only the um, westbound off-ramp into the Lloyd Center. There is no eastbound off-ramp. And then there would be the problem of everybody on I-5 snaking through the Broadway district. Um, so from a traffic perspective, I think that it's just going to be a mess. And it doesn't speak to what would happen in the overlap of the spring where you have the potential for 
a Blazer game going on at Moda Center and what would happen if you had a ball game going on in the early uh, parts of a baseball season. So I, I do think that there's that. Um, I do think that the, you do begin to look at that as the idea that is, of course, as it continues to sit there and mothball, which, of course, small life was going downhill uh, long before this, that that price, the price of the property continues to drop. And I think that the one thing that we don't talk about with the location on uh, downtown on the waterfront in Terminal 2 is the fact that I think that there's going to be some considerable costs to go along potentially with, you know, environmental that could go along with it. There's going to have to be some studies done to that. There hasn't been any of that yet. And yeah, so, exactly. And, you know, can that ground, is that ground stable enough? Because I know some of those areas were essentially uh, dredge fill from the, the river that's through there. So is it stable enough to hold it? And what, what would the cost be to uh, stabilize it anyways? Yeah, none of that stuff. There's never, there hasn't been any studies yet. You know, I mean, look, I mean, I like what those guys are doing. I love the location. You want to make that sort of thing happen. If they've costed it out at a billion dollars and they think that they can go ahead and they can do all that foundational stuff. Look, I have no idea. It's near a Superfund site. So, you know, if you go to go, if you can go ahead and you can get the environmental hurdles handled, great. If you can get all those things done, fine. I prefer that location from the aesthetics perspective. And I look at it, of course, I think one of the bigger problems or one of the challenges, of course, is that if you do that, it basically will be the largest, it'll create a huge new development area. And you're basically talking all the way up to Montgomery Park, potentially all the way through there. Now, what do you do with that light industrial? How do you make up for the port space? So I think that that the continued discussion around the Lloyd Center is that um, neither one of them are perfect from certain perspectives. No sites are. And there are always problems. Um, But I do think that you look at um, the once again, the cost. Um, the, the visuals won't be great and you're not going to get a good view anywhere. I mean, like I said, you're getting a ballpark in the Lloyd district. You're not getting any of the views. You're not near anything in the urban core. There's not a lot of development. You would go, Oh, okay. Now we go ahead and develop. There's quite a bit of stuff that's already gone on there. And I do worry about the fact that you would be very, very close, like on top of uh, basically a bunch of houses and you've got everybody that's in those neighborhoods that are around there. So that creates a bunch of problems in terms of parking and everything. Look, it's different than Wrigley field, the Fenway park. Right. I mean, or even, you know, Yankee stadium, those, those places were kind of there and kind of were there before you had some kind of massive thing that we've now made ballparks. They're they're completely mm-hmm. different, you know, than they used to be. So, um, I, I, there, there would be that. So you have to balance those things out and try and make those things happen. I think that once again, if, you know, when I talk to Craig Cheek and I talk to the, you know, those, the guys in the diamond group, they're pretty forthcoming. They say that money is not a problem. They won't say specifically. Um, I have some, um, I have some theories about where the money is coming from and, you know, and possibilities around it which would make it, I have no idea how the pandemic influences how that money flows. Um, Craig seems to think that things will continue to do so, but there is a sizable price tag that goes along with this stuff. And so you do start to go, all right, um, which, which location can we get into? What are the costs associated to it? Do we go ahead and we, do we err on the side of being able to just get the thing built, but it isn't perfect? 
uh, or do we go, let's do something. They, they really want to try and do something that's an anchor and a development. And that is because obviously the ancillary development is how they're going to make a bunch of that money back. And look, Craig and the diamond group and everybody that's involved in that. Yeah, sure. They want to, nobody wants to go ahead and pour a billion dollars into something and of course, they want to try and get something out of it in terms of owning that asset. Uh, they want to go ahead and make the money back around developing around it. That is almost as important. And that's also why the T2 waterfront location is much preferred. Even if they can't get the ballpark and you could potentially buy that land and start to develop it and then wait until Major League Baseball was ready to expand. But they haven't been able to do that yet. And so that is one of the challenges that they really have. Yeah. You brought up like, you know, maybe losing port space. And I, I got to have the feeling that if, if the port of Portland wasn't, you know, okay with doing, giving away that space and, and, and selling it or, or willing to sell it and being actively involved with the, the, the project and allowing them to continue to, to kind of put a hold on this, then I, I, I don't see why, you know, I could see your point where maybe we're running out of port space, but you know, in my, my opinion, just like looking at it, then I think that the port is just like, okay, well we could probably do without this space because it could be used for something else and we really don't need it. Well, there is that, but there's a charter. That's the issue. There's a charter that basically says that even if that, so uh, look, the port of Portland's more than happy to sit there and go, Hey, you want to negotiate with us? We're not sitting here. This we're sitting on an empty piece of land right now it's doing nothing you guys want to go ahead and have an exclusivity deal which by the way expired um, almost six months ago as a matter of fact i do believe it's going to be six months uh here next month um so they're not in an i don't believe they're in an uh, exclusive negotiating window with them but it's not like anybody was there i mean they you know diamond project i want to say poured you know well into six figures into the uh, right to be able to do it exclusively and if it continued to basically um, hang around and just basically draw out to get that happen. Well, they were happy to take that free money. Um, but the, the reason it's difficult is there's a charter that basically says that if any port space is taken away, it must be made up somewhere else, irrespective of the fact that it's sitting there doing nothing. They have to have that done. And that all I believe has to go through the state. Um, and so that, that it's just, you know, it's part of the bureaucratic thing when you're doing a massive rezoning, and having a consideration of taking something that's um, light to heavy industrial and turning it into something that will largely see a bunch of residential. It changes a lot. That's the other reason the Portland Diamond Project likes that location. It's zoned industrial. So if you buy it, this is one of the questions that I don't know if anybody has answered yet. So they're able to buy it at, a, at the cost of what industrial is right now, which of course is going to be much less than if it's zoned for residential or zone for uh, something more commercial, um, that property value goes through the roof the minute they make that purchase and that zoning change. So that's another reason that they can do this. They're getting the land for cheap, and then that value of that property will go up immediately once it's rezoned. Yeah, and um, you know, I mean, take a look at Seattle for example, where they, you know, they built the new T-Mobile, well, T-Mobile Park now, um, but you know, that's in an industrial area along with CenturyLink. So they can, you know, be shown as an example of building in an industrial area. Um, now, moving forward with the, with the stadiums, I mean, you've you've clearly been, 
you know, in this for a while and been talking, you know, thinking about different ideas for the stadiums. Um, give me some things that you personally, if, if the team comes here and they still build and they build the stadium, tell me about some things that you'd like to see in the stadium. Well, the first thing it absolutely has to have a, a roof. Um, preferably as in dog. And I really, 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 really hope that it would obviously be retractable. You have to have it. Um, that is the most important thing. And the reason for that, for that is simply the fact that, um, look, I did an initial study and I think most of us know this, that you go, well, you know what, in the summers here, when baseball season's at the middle of it, um, we got gray weather. Why, why do you need a roof? It is not at all about the idea of somebody living in a Portland metro area doing that in the summer. It's the idea that somebody in Salem or Eugene uh, would need to make the trek in, say, May or April. And if it, you know how dicey the weather can be, you, you need that walk up and you need that guarantee of those revenues. If somebody buys a ticket, you want them to be there. And given the fact that Portland is a very small market that has to think about itself, not just in Portland and Vancouver, but points south and north, that has to be there. So there's certainly that. Um, beyond that, you know, I, I look at it more along the lines of I know that the designs that they've had there, look, the, the tram thing was kind of weird. I couldn't figure out how you went to the bathroom. It was an interesting idea. I like the idea of making it, I, I like what they've done. I, I really do. I think that it's um, a, a more modern uh a more modern building, I think, works in Portland. I don't think you do a throwback kind of thing. It just lends itself, I think, more architecturally to it. Um, there, there's certainly that. Um, I've, there's some other stuff that I've seen that hasn't been released that I, I'm not going to speak to out of you know deference to the the baseball group on some concepts that I really like. Um, I will simply say that um, it plays against the idea of sitting on the water, and I think that that would be really cool. So I think that what they've good to have as a design is largely good. I, I don't think you can get too whiz wacky with it. Um, the roof is the most important thing. After that, I think that the one thing that you're going to see a lot of is um, less less reliance on suite space and more in terms of these patio spaces that you see and being able to do that. Because it's really strange. I mean, if you go to a game at T-Mobile Park right now, um, purists will bemoan this, but I, I understand it from a business perspective. If kids want to hang out and drink beer and socialize and try and pick up on each other, if you're college kids and, oh, by the way, there's a baseball game going on, fine. I, you know, let people like me that get paid to sit there and watch baseball games and score it and do that thing and all the rest of us that really love the game itself and are just hyper fixated on that, have that, and we would still have that. But if kids want to go and just hang out and go to a ball game and spend, you know, $15 on a beer, I don't think the Seattle Mariners or the Portland whatevers are going to deny that sort of thing. I think that you make that available to it. Something that allows you to have continued accessible views of the river, I think is probably good. Um, that get once again gets into this idea of um, how do you build a footprint that maybe doesn't go straight up? I mean, if you, you – most ballparks, if you look at them, you enter into them and they go down, which means you dig down and that gets into how is that going to look in terms of the design and the struggles that they may have in the location that they have. Um, if they go up, well, then you're going to get more views, I guess, of the downtown area. Um, so there's that. So I guess I look at the design that way. Yeah, I had talked to Mike Barrett about this and I've talked to a couple of the other 
people and I've mentioned it here on the podcast. And I think one of the things I'd like to see with the field itself is having an area, because if you know Portland, you know that there are a lot of food carts. So I think that having an area where, you know, you could have like a food cart Friday or, or something, or just, so you have like a, every, a, like a different people or the same food carts coming in um, on, on a temporary basis, but you know, they come in for a couple of games and, then they're out and then, you know, new ones come in, but I'd like to see like a food cart area because I think that, you know, what's great about Portland, there's a lot of food carts and I think that would bring in a lot of the city. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think you could do it outside. See, this is the thing that everybody hates about me because I get into the practicality of things. I look, if you're major league baseball, they're going to do a deal with somebody like Aramark or they're going to, you know, somebody, some large corporate concessionaire will be brought in mostly because you don't want to buy all of, you know, nobody wants to buy the grills and stuff. You hire somebody to do that and run your team store and everything else. Um, I, you can have absolutely have their uh, menus and everything be catered toward Portland and you can get a pouring rights deal to go ahead and have micro brews on top of like some big name brewer involved in it. Um, I like the idea of outside and I actually like the idea of making some, making, the area want to be a magnet outside of game day. So there's obviously this, you go, well, that's boring, boring. Why can't we just bring the carts inside? And I want to have that accessibility during the game. Well, there is that, but I think that a lot of people would probably like the idea of being able to get something as they walk up. Now, of course, there's a concern about taking revenues away from when you're in the ballpark, which the club would have to think about and go, okay, well, maybe we have a, you know, take a percentage of it. But the idea of having something around the ballpark then becomes a magnet when there are non-game day events. And that is really what you're also trying to do. You're trying to maximize a ballpark to be something more, something like an entertainment district, which is something that the Lloyd, or I'm sorry, that the Rose Quarter never really fully realized. That was what its initial design was supposed to turn into and never did because it's in this weird spot where the river blocks you from downtown and then the freeway and everything blocks you from the Lloyd district. But that's what you're really hoping for. You want to create an economic thing. And if, of course, if you're the diamond project and you own the ancillary development around that, that's what you want clubs or whatever that basically dovetail off the ballpark. So I would, I would advocate for something like that. I think it would be cool. I don't know if you can bring it inside certain something certainly outside seems practical and could be done. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't mind that idea either, um, because you know, you take a look at in in Arlington with the Cowboys. I mean, yeah, we're talking a different sport, but you know, Jerry in Jerry's world, he's got that big flat screen that they put outside sometimes on game day, so they can have people, you know, watch things, you know, outside. So you know, if you can get a certain percentage, you can create an area like on on the outside for the food carts to come in and back up and whatever, take a certain percentage of it, maybe have some other games on the on the screen while either be like before the game, cause you're going to have a lot of the East coast games. So have some of those on the, you know, the big screen prior to the game, you know, sell some food and beverage outside. Yeah. I think that there, and if you see some of the renderings, I think that you see some of that, you see stuff around the ballpark where there would be, you know, there was, there's large, you know, that's just part and parcel now with, with, with baseball. I mean, there's the giant jumbotrons that are going there. And that's something that I haven't seen in the drawings. But absolutely, you're going to be there. I mean, look, it just has become a war between all, all the 30 clubs as to who's got the biggest dog on, you know, Jumbotron. 
So there'll be something like that. But I think that's something else inside. And I, I, I firmly believe, and if you've talked to Mike or if you've talked to Craig, they will they will tell you that part of the idea behind this is creating some entertainment district elements to go along with, once again, the mixed use development that they're going to have around this. Once again, their, their thing is, of course, yes, there is the ballpark. But hey, we really going to make our money back on condos or apartments or whatever it is around there. And then the shops and everything that they would lease out, they, they, would, they, they would go ahead and bring other people underneath them to develop that stuff and finish it off. But they're, they're going to make their money. They make their real hay, not in the ballpark itself, but everything that's around it. Oh, exactly. Because people are going to want to, I mean, just I'm just throwing this as an example, but people are going to want to probably go to the bar prior to the game, especially if it's like a, let's say a one o'clock game. Well, hey, let's go to the bar. Let's watch some East Coast games or let's go to the sports bar, watch something else that's, you know, on TV right now. And then we'll go to the game or even after the game, they go go to the bar, hang out, um, you know, get some drinks, watch sports center or whatever, to, you know, do some things, but just to kind of hang out, talk about the game afterwards. But yeah, I can definitely see what you're talking about and getting some of that revenue back. Well, it's more than that, Ben. It's yeah, um, clearly. so, but well, so, well, no, I mean, so to, this is one of the things that um, club owners are trying to figure out, right? So you go, okay, well, there's the baseball related type of thing and the baseball related revenues and the baseball commerce that would be inside or outside the game. Then it's, what am I going to do with this big hulking thing in the winter and everything around it? And what you're really trying to do is have something that is economically viable to them 365 days a year. So, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to have, we're going to bring the super cross or whatever it's going to be, or tractor pulls or I don't know what concerts. And certainly concerts is something that you could do there. Yeah, exactly. Like you could pull something like that off. But what you're really hoping for is this. There's the base, there's the baseball stuff, but everything around it turns into an entertainment district to where it's like in late November or December, I say, hey, let's go, you know, instead of going down to the Pearl, I'm going to go down to whatever the new district is called down there and go clubbing or go to dinner or take in a movie or whatever. And there's some ecosystem down there. That is largely what they're trying to do and I think that that's just a massive part of the, all of this. I mean, it's just, you can't build something for a billion dollars, just pour it into it. I mean, remember, there's nothing to say that the Portland Diamond Project members become owners of the team. I mean, they're developers that it, they may or may not wind up being the owners of the team. And this is something that largely gets lost in this whole thing. That you largely, the last ballpark that was developed outside of ones that were already owned was in D.C. And Washington, D.C. was the core driver behind getting it built. And then they brought the Lerner family in and planted them in there. And that's largely one of the things. Do Of course, they, I think that they want to think about that. But they would go, hey, man, we have an idea of what we want in terms of our ownership. Will you have a seat at the table? Yeah. But largely, you're building it. So they, I think, understand that. And understand that, you know, while, uh, look, the individuals that own clubs, um, you're, you're, those, those ball clubs, of course, they, uh, they increase in value and they're making money, right? I mean, granted, right now, they're probably not making as much as they normally would. Um, but the, it's that ancillary development there. You look at the Diamond Project is going, 
We want to bring baseball. We love the idea of it. We think of it as a civic asset. We think of it as something that would be of interest for as a business thing and something because we really love baseball. They also look at it from the pure perspective of being a developer. And I think that that's a large part of it that they, that they're, they're putting into the equation. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent stuff there. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break um, and hear from uh, our sponsors. What's going on, podcast family? Ben here for Devo Bag Company. Rooted in eastern Washington, Devo uses nothing but the highest quality maple, ash, birch on the market. You know what? It makes a difference. At Devo Bats, they take pride in the craftsmanship that goes into each and every wooden bat produced. Your success at the plate is their ultimate priority. They want you to know when you think of bats, Think of Devo Bats. Devo Bats, your Northwest supplier of affordable quality wooden bats. Hey podcast fam, it's Ben here from my friends over at Baseballism. Founded by four former college baseball players and teammates, their love and passion for the game did not stop after leaving the playing field. An amazing organization founded on the beliefs of class, tradition, and the history of baseball. I personally shop at Baseballism because of the quality of their products and the top of the line customer service I get each and every time. Take it from me, an avid hat lover. Baseballism is not your run-of-the-mill apparel company. Check them out at any of their fine locations or visit them online at baseballism.com baseballism built for the love of the game all right we're back uh thanks to our our sponsors again baseballism devo bats um yeah we really appreciate all your support we also appreciate big league chew for uh backing us up so uh, thank you to those wonderful organizations for your support um, here at the Diamond Rose podcast. Um, again, we're here with Murray Brown. We're talking uh, some baseball here in Portland. We were just talking about the stadium. Um, I really want to, you know, you got to talking in about ownership and so on. I, I want to bring in a new aspect of this right now because I you you briefly, briefly, briefly touched on this earlier. But I want to talk about Nashville. I mean, Nashville's, Nashville's been doing a lot of stuff, and every time they they make an announcement, they're not really necessarily totally, completely active all of the time on social media. But when they do put out something like this latest thing, like the you know Justin Timberlake um, being you know partial owner into this or investee into this, um, you know they they've been putting out some really really meaningful things. And you know I kind of hate to say it, but we we really haven't heard much from the diamonds uh, from the the diamond project, but maybe that's because there's really not much going on. Um, but do you, some people think that that's, you know, wonder what's going on. Why aren't we hearing things? Um, can you, can you kind of talk to a little bit about that? Well, first of all, um, I, I would say that, that, you know, the situation that's going on in Nashville, you want that. If you want baseball in Portland, you're rooting for Nashville. Because, look, it's not going to go to 31 teams. They need two markets, and they want a market in the West, and they want a market in the East. And, look, I've talked to Rob Manfred about this on numerous occasions. That's the way that they want to see it. Um, they believe that, that that bodes well. So Portland's in a location, right, and Nashville's in a location that makes that happen. Um, as far as what's going on now, 
um, you could, you could, I guess you could say this a couple of different ways. Um, now is difficult from a business perspective. It's easy for Justin Timberlake to say, I want to go ahead and have vision into this thing and make an investment. And we don't know how much that is. Um, just like Russell Wilson did, you know, and you can go ahead and, and say that there, there was certainly that at its time that look, Russell Wilson's not the main money guy. That's not what matters. What matters is the collection and how your capital stack looks in terms of who your investors are. And I haven't seen that in Nashville, so I can't really speak to it. On the situation in Portland, I, I don't know whether it is a matter of uh, them basically being stymied due to what has happened with the pandemic. I don't know if they've been stymied due to the bureaucracy of things, uh, but they've been stymied. And I don't like the thing that I think worries me most, or not worries me, I mean, uh, I don't have a, an emotional investment I'm in it. I'd like to see baseball here, but I, I, if it doesn't happen, I, look, my, I've always believed that the odds are so incredibly, it's so difficult to make these things happen. Um, the, the issue at hand is that the political landscape is likely to change here very soon. You do, right now, the focus is so dramatic around other issues that just have nothing to do with entertainment right now. And the idea of spending taxpayer dollars and everything. If the mayor changes, and look, the the favorability rating for Mayor Wheeler right now is just not very high. I want to say that it's like his disapproval rating is like 63% or something something insane. I mean, he's just not very well liked. Um, he has been a proponent. You don't know whether Sarah, who could potentially wind up being uh, his replacement or anybody else, if he's voted out, is going to sit on these issues. But so the political landscape is not good. Um, I do know that there was obviously a discussion um, that you may have read about in Canzano's column. Um, and I confirmed it by talking to, to Craig that there was the idea of having the commissioner come out here and look at stuff. <clears throat> and um, the, of course, the concern was basically you don't just bring Rob Manfred in to go and look at just your site location, he's going to want to go and examine the market for himself. I don't know if Rob's ever been here. Um, so you're going to take him in the middle of downtown while everything's boarded up. It's probably not a good time for that. Um, so there are some timing things here that could potentially be in play. And then there's something else that's going on. And I don't know what that is. They have not, I have not been privy to it and I have poked and prodded everybody. And they said that we're moving along fine and everything's great but it shouldn't take a year and a half to close the deal on the land that they said they had plenty of money to do. If there's been a zoning thing or whatever the, the gyrations are, something's happened. And I don't know why that is, but something has clearly happened. I mean, they wouldn't be sitting there that long. They, they, you know, when I talked to those guys, when this thing first started, I think there was some naivete that the thing was going to happen much faster than it probably was. And I just, although the initial swings that bring in major league baseball to this market were not done probably right in many many ways and i was told exactly that whatever we did prior they were going to move away from it as fast as they could they just saw it as being very counterproductive um i think that some of the lessons learned out of it and some of the people that understood what happened with it um, would be valuable in that context they're bumping into some bureaucracy somewhere along the line i don't know what it is but you wouldn't just be sitting on this thing and given the amount of work that has to be done in terms of 
um, procuring the land, the environmental impact stuff, all the things that go along with it and making it happen. Um, it, especially when you're looking to the fact that you could potentially develop it, it's something I think maybe fundamental at the government level, the zoning has certainly been a challenge and how they're going to approach that. Once again, the Portland that has to be swapped out, um, all of those things, I, it's taking much longer. They, the excuse has been, well, the pandemic has moved us, you know, and that all put everything on hold. Well, we're all Zoom meeting culture now. Um, I can't imagine that, that, that those things would be moving by now. Yeah, exactly. And, and I want to go just temporarily back to the uh, John Canzano article that was, that was written and that you had said that you had confirmed. Um, you know, I had read that article, and, and if I'm correct, it was a letter that Mr. Cheek had written to the mayor discussing his reasoning as to why not to have uh, Commissioner Manfred come here after um, the World Series. I, I, I understand that there's some political aspect involved in on this with the way the perception of the city and how it may look and how it's been talked about in the news lately. Um, but I, I mean, is it, I, I just don't know about that specific letter, whether it was the correct timing or, or, or what. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it because I know there's a lot of people who've actually talk to me about that letter and, and are worried about it and are like, well, what's going on? Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, look, there is, look, I mean, if they're asking him to go out, it doesn't mean that they're dead. And I don't think that they're dead yet, but there's the, the whole effort right now seems to be, you know, a little bit sore. Now look, and look, I, I, I've, I've talked with those guys at length. Um, I consider Mike Barrett a friend. Um, I, outside of all that sort of thing, there is the idea that even though I know them pretty well and have discussed with them stuff at length, there's still the idea that I'm a media member um, and then that there's information that's publicly consumed. And they're controlling a lot of that. They've made it very, very clear that they would release information only when they felt it was worthwhile doing it and that they would be substantive. So maybe there's a bunch of stuff going on right now. And it's just not worth being able to go ahead and release that stuff. Fine. I, I get all that stuff. The timeline doesn't add up. Um, it shouldn't take a year and a half if the money was there. Once again, I get back to it. I just don't think it takes a year and a half to negotiate some of this stuff. Now, I get back to it. Yeah, there's the zoning thing. Yeah, there's stuff. But you would say, oh, we've negotiated this piece on... Uh, at the state level and we're active and we've got this thing going on where we've negotiated whatever it's going to be about whether the port space will be uh, replenished somewhere else. And we've addressed, you know, the Audubon society or whatever else that was worried about whether it was going to potentially mess with, with wetland space. Okay, cool. Great. Or there would be movement around whether there was something going on in the zoning space, or there would be a deal on whether they were actually procuring the land. And there hasn't been any of that. There has been no word. It's been a year and a half. There have been, you know, yeah, great. We've had some kumbaya moments and we've got a bunch of signatures and that's great. You need those things. That is not what gets you done. Um, the, the, the cold, hard, boring as hell aspects around 
things like buying the land and all the things that go on zoning and all the stuff that baseball fans just don't care about. They're like, where's my ballpark? I, I, we, we deserve it. We're a good market. And they, all those things are absolutely true. I honestly believe that, but it is the, the very hard and difficult pieces that are going on and behind the scenes. I, like I said, they won't say, I don't know what they are. And they may just say, we're continuing to just kind of fight through it. Maybe that's really what it is. I and mean, it just seems like it's taken a heck of a long time. Yeah. And I just want to be, be clear for, 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 for everybody that I, I really want this to happen. And I'm, you know, I, I may do this podcast and I, I may ask these questions, but I'm a baseball fan also. And I'm a proponent of the diamond project. And, you know, we, we really want them to be successful in their efforts and we want to do what we can to help them be successful in whatever way that we can um, for the podcast. So I, I just want to be very clear. I'm, I'm for this and I've just, but I'm just at wanting to ask the questions. So. Um, yeah. Hey, but look, Ben, let me address this too. So people, you know, people are probably going to listen to this and go, gosh, isn't he a big old freaking wet blanket on this whole thing? No, well, I'm, I don't think that I, I think no, you're giving it may not, but I, so to clear things up, right. I mean, I've made a considerable investment in analyzing this market and looking at this market for 15 years now. I mean, a long time, 20, yeah, coming up on 20 years almost. So you obviously don't, you know, the difference is, I, and this is one of the things that um, I had to learn the first time around because I became so emotionally wedded to it. When you're especially involved in it directly, you do that. And you step away from it a little bit. But the thing that I was told, once again, this is something that David Kahn said. And he goes, you need to emotionally divest yourself from this stuff wherever possible because the capacity for it to go, you know, the, the, the odds are so incredibly long to pull some of these things off. It's just very hard to do massive, the potentially the largest civic project ever done in the history of this city it's a billion dollar cornerstone to a huge development area if you do it on the waterfront there in terminal two so yeah i want to see baseball here i get back to my original thing i still i'm a bbwa member i cover baseball i love baseball i hate driving three and a half hours to go to a mariners game i gotta spend six hours i gotta drive three and a half hours back because the train doesn't work you know and at eight o'clock i can't take the train back you know, I mean, so my ability to cover the game that I love on a regular basis is stymied by distance and in a large market that is larger than most of them. And I truly believe there's a lot of great baseball fans here. So that's my two cents. It's important to remember that while this dry stuff is there, there that you have to just think about it in these terms. That's the thing that's going to get your ballpark built. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now back on the, so on the expansion side of things, I know that you know, we had the, the, the A's and, and, and everything that they're going through. And I know that, you know, Hey, we could maybe bring the A's up, up here from Oakland. Um, but then you have, you have Tampa and, and that whole issue. And I know that I'm not really completely sure if those two pieces have been settled yet. Cause I know there's some talk of, you know, Tampa going to Montreal for, you know, the summertime and then, them being in the springtime being in Tampa. Um, and I know that, you know, Manfred said something about taking uh, Oakland and moving it to Las Vegas. I mean, is do you think that Las Vegas is probably is a is a dark horse here as far as a potential that maybe could get a team? So Vegas has changed a lot. 
so Vegas, the question really is this. So if I look at it from just the hard numbers perspective, um, I was surprised that the NHL went in. Um, I just didn't think it was going to work. Of course, the franchise was immediately hugely successful in terms of winning a bunch of games, and they became the darling of the city. The NFL always thought could work there once they got past the idea of gambling and everything because it's a destination thing. They were close enough to the Bay Area that people could fly over there. And once again, you're, you're talking about, you know, a 16-game season, right? So your ability to basically hope that everything's event-driven. So the idea that somebody on the West Coast could fly to go see an NFL game to make it a weekend event is there. Baseball, of course, requires the ability to support 81 games. And what I worried about and what I continue to look at is, of course, the size of the market, the television market, and the dilution of the market, given that the NHL is already there, given that the NFL is there, how much corporate space is there really, how well can you support that? If people are already buying tickets to go see the Raiders or the Knights, um, how much money is going to be left over for a potential team there? But I will say this, there is enough money pouring in there, and it is a development-driven, business-centric city. It always has been. Has been developed out of nothing. It was built out in the middle of the desert and turned into this thing. So the ability to go and get something built is very easy. And then I don't know how to tell people this. If if a market can cough up a stadium, they got a better shot of having a team faster than anybody else. It could be larger or better. And just the ballpark is so critical and so difficult to get built. That if a, if a market figures out how to do it, and I believe Las Vegas is absolutely the best market to try and be able to do that, they can. And would baseball look past a really crappy regional sports network deal? Would they look past the fact that they're going to probably just crater when they don't have enough corporate sales or season ticket sales? They might if it came down to the idea that, once again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a, you know, they got killed at the gate this year and there's a billion dollar expansion fee associated to this now would it be less if it's relocation and you move the a's out to las vegas maybe but there's that idea that if somebody can cough up a stadium and give somebody an out or safety valve they're going to take it and so there is that look the idea that the tampa bay rays are going to move out west is never happening People should forget about that whole idea. There's no way that they're going to realign the whole league. It would just make the uh, the whole league lopsided. So the Rays to Montreal makes sense. The A's to potentially Portland makes sense. And once again, if Vegas goes ahead and jumps ahead of the game in there, you know, the A's are going to continue to try and they've been fighting that thing longer than Portland has. You know, they've been trying to get a stadium deal done for almost 30 years now. I mean, a shot in Hoffman, we're talking about it the, the minute they got a hold of the club. So, look, I mean, you know, they, they continue to struggle. They were supposed to have shovels in the ground by now, you know, and they still have them. But everybody's put that on hold due to the pandemic. So, yeah, Vegas is in there. I don't know. Once again, Portland has done a lot of good initial work. But if you were to sit down, and if I was to channel Rob Manfred, here's exactly what would be said. That's great. Can You guys need to continue to go ahead, and you need to purchase this land and get your ballpark done. What's your, what's your funding model? What's your timeline? How are you doing on that? And they get real nuts and bolts about it. And 
they may say all kinds of nice things and everything to your market because they don't want us to stop. But if somebody comes up with a better deal, they'll jump on that in a heartbeat. They really will. I mean, it just gets very cold and calculated um, with those guys. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the reason, another reason why I bring up Vegas is because they already have a triple A team there. So I would assume that they could, you know, they could either take down what they have or they can just have them, you know, a team like Oakland, for example, go play there in while a stadium's being built. So you already have something in place during that time. So that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why I brought well, that up. Well, and they, the beautiful ballpark, they just finished it. But I mean, it's a hundred zillion degrees there. There's no way that that baseball is going to put a, a club there without a brand new one. So, yeah, I mean, they just spent a whole bunch of money developing, uh, you know, a, a beautiful triple uh, A park, triple A, whether it's triple A or single A, it doesn't matter to them that I, I think that's overblown. The idea that there are fans that they know that they have, a, you know, fans of baseball there. Yeah, that that means something just like, you know. You know, obviously the hops, they would like a little bit more than that. I mean, we had the Beavers here and I, the Beavers popularity was strictly, I think, driven about just it was it was just never a, a good ballpark environment where it used to be at when it was at Civic or whether it was PG Park or whatever the name was on the outside of it. Um, that is not it. The baseball looks at themselves as their own product. I hate to term players as product, but they do look at it that way. They look at it in this very clear way. They look at what the television market will support, whether their attendance will be sustainable and whether they can do that. And then whether you've got everything in place that allows you to be successful on all of those levels. And that's really it. And if you go, you know, and they, they want one that's going to make revenue. They don't want a revenue taker. They want a revenue maker. And that is a concern about Portland. It has to be largely understood, as popular as we like to think it is, the ability to have a brand new market that has no historical thing, right? It's different if you build a new ballpark in St. Louis, your dad and his dad and maybe even his dad were fans of Major League Baseball in their market. And that's generational. You're starting with brand new net new. So how to it's really good to have bandwagon fans. If the team is successful, great. If it isn't, that's what you're worried about. The league doesn't want to have somebody become, you know, we have revenue sharing. They don't want revenue takers. They want revenue makers. So how well is the TV deal and how well is attendance going to be? They have to have all those things set up for success. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, you know, why we're, you know, on the subject, I want to switch it just a little bit. Um, Cause I got a couple questions left for you here and uh, we, you know, people talk about, you know, team names and so on. And you've been in, like you said earlier, you've been in this game for a while now. It, has there been some team names that have come across your desk or that you've thought about that, you, you know, you're thinking, Hey, this would be a good name. Yeah. I'm really kind of, um, I, I don't like green socks. I'm certainly not big on sock eyes or anything like that. I'm really pretty agnostic on it. Um, I tell you what I'd really love. I think hops would have been awesome. You know, I'm, just, you know, I'm sure the McMurray family don't want to unload that if they want to sell the name. Great. You know, cause pretty soon minor league baseball is underneath. Uh, I I'll tell you what I really want. I want the Portland Beavers. Hey, you want to do that? Resurrect it. I know that there's always this discussion about whether it confuses everybody with OSU. 
but I think from the in the terms of the history, and I think that the there would be that. The only other thing would might be the Portland Mavericks because I think that there's such a wonderful story there. We there was always worries about that, right? I mean, you go everybody goes, oh, we got to have something new, and they're and great. But I think that um, history lends itself. There was a lot of discussion about, um, of course, the Washington Senators, which of course had a bad legacy. Um, there's current discussions going on in Cleveland about bringing back the Cleveland Spiders, although they have a horrible history in terms of their win-loss record. But those kind of things do lend themselves as a thread for a city that does not have or has not had. Remember, the PCL was doggone near a third major league, but that was the last true professional thing that we had here of any substance. When it was, and I'm not talking about, you know, when it became a theater system for the most part, I'm talking back in his halcyon days with Vaughn street park. And when it was really a true, almost major league that you, you think about the history there. And I think that that lends itself a lot. So I, if I'm going to err on it, I'm going to err on some side of history for it probably for the name. Well, speaking, I mean, speaking of history and I'm glad that you brought that up because you know, I mean, yes, Portland Beavers, um, you know, the old Vaughn Street Stadium. I did a lot of research into that and just just completely amazing and and some of the talent alone that came through there. But also there, I mean, there wasn't just the Portland Beavers that played at Vaughn Street. There was also the, you know, the Portland Rosebuds that played there for, you know, six, mm-hmm. I think like a six month time frame um, from the research that I did. And, um, you know, Jesse Owens was part of the owner for that particular mm-hmm. group. I mean, what about like the, you know, Nashville saying, let's do the Nashville stars, you know, commemorate a, a Negro league baseball team. But, you know, what about like maybe the Portland Rosebuds that commemorates that, you know, that little bit of a time span for uh, the, the Negro league team that was here. Sure. Look in any place where you can go ahead and do those things. Look, those names, you know, we can sit there and go, wow, Beavers doesn't really work. But if you look at their, like I'm a huge vintage guy and i look at those uniforms and i just salivate then the mavericks are another one where i just i I love those uniforms so you get that gives you something to go ahead and look at and once again one of the things that that major league baseball does we always talk about this from the perspective of what do we do as a market and look this is one of the things i remember very clearly with the the portland baseball group that steve canner was with he, he tried to tell Major League Baseball how we, they were going to go about their charity. And I don't know, baseball kind of pulled him aside and just kind of went, you know, we've got a whole massive machine around our charitable work and our charitable divisions and everything that's there. You let us handle that. That's the last thing you need to worry about. Worry about this. By the same token, the name and everything that goes along with it, there will be a huge discussion around that, how it works within the framework. Baseball will have a, a word in it. You'll want to look at it. There'll be a, probably a lot that says, how can you go upon the history of your city? How can you pull those things together? Much like Craig Cheek and Mike Barrett have talked about using wood elements and making things tie in. You want something that ties into the culture. So yeah, would the Rosebuds work? Absolutely. Would the Beavers work? Sure. You know, any of those I think would be fine. You know, do you go with something new? You can, but I really do believe that in some ways you try and lean on that because that allows a thread, albeit it would not be Major League Baseball. You could have the concourses line with stuff that speaks to the history, a very rich history, by the way, of baseball in this market. And I think that they would want to look for that. You're fabricating 
a historical lineage of baseball in there when you bring Major League Baseball into it, right? It's like you go ahead and that allows for it kind of in some weird way to, you know, pull strings. Just like the, you know, the Expos moved to Washington, D.C. and they immediately supplant and go ahead and you start talking about the lineage of the Senators. They get really interesting about how they can twist that stuff around. But I think that there would be an advantage there. You'd want to be able to talk about the history of baseball in this market. People love that stuff. I do. You want to have that as part of what you could tie into with the history of the market. And I think that that lends itself to it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, you know, when it, they started it, it was because of two street trolley owners who brought it there and, you know, brought, you know, had the trolley go to the stadium. So, I mean, you, you could have that element of it too. I just, I just hope that they don't do like one of the teams did in the past history was go from pants to shorts for, you know, the game. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, that was back and, and Bill back was amazing. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be seeing any Chicago white Sox stuff like that, where they're playing in shorts anytime soon. And baseball has gotten <laughs> yeah. that part of it, at least under control. They may be overly controlled. I mean, right now, um, baseball is going to be turned into, uh, they're really going to start controlling things from the cradle to the grave. Um, there's a huge effort in uh, the investment in the little league and growing the game at the young level. Um, we're about ready. We're right on the edge of, uh, the offices of, major, of minor league baseball um, going away in Florida and be moving into the commissioner's office and them controlling that. Um, and then I think that they get it all the way to the Cooperstown. And the idea will be that major league baseball um, registered trademark, as I'm putting up the quote signs around it, will largely control everything baseball. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but when you do have that, they bring a lot of resources to bear. There'll be a discussion around it. And look, whatever they put in here, we're going to love it. I don't care what you call it. I mean, you know, I, I just please don't give us teal for God's sakes. I've had enough teal color in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that just didn't work green? out well. I mean, oh, I, think, or, I think we got enough green. I would, I would prefer something more throwbacky than something more, you know, the Marlins, I think, are the best example. Although they tried to, they've done, made lemonades out of lemon, at least a little bit there. The original was just all of that boo. So what they did when they moved to Miami was horrid. But, um, you know, they like I said, um, I know some people like Todd Radham that that's uh, if you don't know who that guy is, he does logos for season the Super Bowl. He's considered to be one of the a historian of it and, and a remarkable guy. He did the Nationals logo um, and he did the most recent um, Angels logo. Um, they the amount of effort and market research that goes into such a thing is formidable and massive um so it'll be something i'm sure that would look fine for the market it, it won't be something crazy i can't see that yeah now last question for you um and you know i usually like to ask my guests this and that is is that if, if, if you take portland itself and you start a team here and you could take any player you know current currently playing or from the past um who would you who would you like to see that like start a team with oh my gosh i get anybody i don't have to think about the costs or anything like that no no costs that it's like cost aside but just think about like you know but you got to think about like who could fit into the area here who would like who would fit here who would you like to start a team with wow well if it's on personality if if i was basing it on personality i'd have sean doolittle here i just think that he's a a marvelous guy 
Fernando Tatis, I think Junior would be an outstanding guy to have. And then if I was looking at it from a pitcher's perspective right now, uh, I think Cole would probably be the guy that I would want. Um, Mike Trout, Mike Trout would be pretty great. Mookie Betts would be pretty great. Look, I could fill a whole roster. I could do a fantasy team that would knock your socks off. But I think if I, if I, and once again, I'm going to go back to this and people are going, what the heck? Why are you picking Sean Doolittle? He's just a closer, man. And he's just, if he, his personality would absolutely align perfectly in Portland. We're kind of weird. We're kind of liberal. He would absolutely fit in perfectly here. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go against the grain with every guest that you've had. And I'm going to go with some kind of more rank and file guy. And I'm going to say, I'm going to start with Sean Doolittle. Now, what about some of the former OSU guys or um, University of Oregon or maybe even U of P? Any, anybody come to mind? Um, well, if I'm going to go historical, hmm. well, you know, that's the thing right now. I mean, I look at some of those guys um, and, and it's, it, well, if I was going to go historical, if, you, if I could pick anybody, then I'm going to go with Pesky. You know, that'll be the guy that I go with. And it's in terms of like the guys that I don't know if I'd start anybody right now. I think that they're all going to flesh out, you know, Dale Murphy. Yeah, I'll put Dale Murphy on my team. I don't know as you guy, but since I live here in the West Hills and and I'm near Wilson, I'll go ahead and do I'll pick Dale because Dale's that there's my local tie. And plus, he's a great guy. Uh, Yeah, I mean, MVP you know, plethora of just games. Um, what about coaching? I mean, you know, you know, would there be like a local coach or, you know, somebody that's currently coaching that you'd like to have? I, well, I, I don't think that you would, it's not going to get built that way. It, it becomes completely agnostic of the region. And when you go ahead and build, um, who would I really like as a man? Boy, managers are so tough right now. I really like Manny Acta, who hasn't had a shot in a while. Um, he, he's made, he's kind of moved into a bench coach, but I like his personality. Um, I like him a lot. As far as current guys go, a guy that would work well, I think, here initially, because there's going to be so much pressure and it'll largely be a lot of, you're not going to get a lot of big names here. I don't. I'm afraid to tell anybody that when we first start out. Um, I really like Dusty Baker. I think that he has a personality for that kind of thing. Um, Aaron Boone, I think, has done a good job. Um, I, but once again, I mean, there's a reason that he where he's at. Um, it's a little too close to home right now. I'm so Joe Madden. I think has personality. I think that goes well. But he's like, you know. I was just talking about the 2016 World Series. He lucked out on that in many ways, I think. He what was about Pat Casey? Yeah, Pat. So Pat's an interesting guy. I mean, it's just the reason he doesn't come up is because I don't think he really wants to. But I love to see him. But if you could just start, oh I mean, even though he doesn't maybe, even though he might not want to, it's just. As a major league <laughs> guy, I don't out so. there. Now, so here, this is where I just get, this is where I become more of a, everybody hates me for this, but. um I would want Pat Casey to run my player development. I wouldn't want him to manage a major league team because it's a completely different dynamic. I, I would want Pat Casey to, to be my player development guy. And I think he would be flipping great. Um, but the managerial position is just so much different in the college game than it is at the major league level. 
It's largely about managing the clubhouse. I mean, as we just saw, as great as Kevin Cash is in the World Series and as great as he is as a manager, and he's the second longest tenured manager in Tampa Bay Ray history, he made an incredible gaffe. He made an incredible gaffe pulling Snell. And so um, I, I believe that uh, managers oftentimes make more um, strategic errors than good ones for the most part. I want somebody that can manage the people. And those people are largely going to be, they're, they're much different than collegiate players. You tell a collegiate player what to do and they do it. Or they just go wind up sitting in the pine. It doesn't work that way with free agency. Last, guy, got, last guy I got for you is Brocious. What about Brocious? Yeah, Brocious would be great. Scott's a great guy. I mean, he, you know, and obviously he's worked for a long time in the game. Um, you know, beyond the theatrics that he did with the Yankees in the World Series, you know, he has great ties here locally. I mean, he's done great work at Linfield. He's done a lot of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I like Scott. Scott would be a great guy. But, I mean, I, 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 I once again, I get into the cold reality. You said I could pick anybody. If I, could, yep. if I go historically, gosh, if I could go historically just for the pure entertainment, I want Earl Weaver. Oh, just yeah. Earl Weaver. So I can have Earl Weaver. And you know what? And we stick a mic on him and just let him go wild. I want them to get into screaming and yelling matches with the umpires. Give me some form of entertainment mm -hmm. there. You know, that's it. Who gives but me that my form of entertainment is, uh, um, what's his name? Bobby Cox. Like, and then his staff, uh, was it Leo Mazzoni? Like yeah. rocking in the, the dugout back in the, like the nineties for the Braves, just like rocking back and forth. I'm like, what is he doing? What yeah. Is, you look and you know, and he has the record for most ejections. Yeah. The most colorful guy, the most colorful guy to me is still Weaver. And yeah. there's some clips out on if for anybody that's listening, if, if you've never seen the clips on YouTube, do yourself a favor. Make sure your kids aren't around if you got them, because you're going to get a mouthful of expletives. But yeah, I I miss that guy. <laughs> I really <laughs> miss Earl Weaver. Yes. Well, Murray, thank you so much for for joining us. It's been uh, one great conversation, and I've appreciated everything um, that you've been able to help us fill in here and and to talk about. It's been excellent. Well, Ben, I'm glad that you're doing this podcast. I mean, it's something that I think is great for the fans here, right? I mean, there's probably some dark shadows around, you know, what we talked about. I mean, it was pretty clinical. But look, baseball in Portland is a great idea and a great thing. Um, and, and it's people like you and it's the fans that are going to do this thing, that are going to make this thing live, Right. It's a lot to get it done, right? And there's all those people that are outside of that. But if you don't have the fans and if there aren't people like you that support that whole idea, people like the folks at Baseballism, you know, people like, you know, Nelly and Owen and Big League Chew and guys like that, They're, those people are going to make this thing go round. And so, you know, keep it up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, and uh, thank you so much once again. That'll do it for this episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast. I appreciate you listening. You have yourself a great day wherever you're at. Peace out. Peace out.